So the Jeff. So the Jer. How's retirement treating you? Like a baby treats a diaper. <laughs> that it's a dog-eat-dog is... world, Jeremy. It's a dog-eat-dog world. I don't want to know what dog-eat-dog has to do with baby and diaper, but okay. And I'm wearing milk bone underwear. <laughs> uh, it's funny because we uh, both sort of uh, said we were leaving, and then we just keep recording these shows. <laughs> what do you make of that? Uh... I think Tiokasen's a goddamn genius. <laughs> Part of the problem is that uh, listeners uh, don't actually want to do the listener episodes, and when they do, they try to like trick us just into coming back. They're like, "Could you interview us, or could we interview you?" Or it's right. like, "Don't you get the whole thing of us leaving and you doing your own shows? <laughs> Does that not register?" Well, I, th- I think it's safe to say we're back. <laughs> we're back. And it's like episode uh, 80, so... Oh, wow. What a nice round number for that to fake mean something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll just do a little variety riff, but I I, I kind of want to start it off at least um, picking up kind of where you left off last week, which is... Oh, well, actually, on that note, let me first apologize to you and, and put out that um, I got flippant on... Something Jeff had said in there about, what was it? Do you remember? Um, All I remember is uh, my hands around your throat, but I don't remember much Uh, past that. No. Um, (laughs) It was the fact of me saying that I I didn't believe that anyone, that we had taught anyone anything. Right, right. What I I meant by that was, you know, of course, that we had not uh, imparted some grand wisdom on this phenomena. For people, because that would put us in the same category as Greer or the ilk. Right, and I thought you were just doing more of your poor me, we don't mean anything, why are we doing this routine? Mm-mm. But that was because I was dead tired, because if you'll recall, we like ended that thing at like 2.30 in the morning, and then I was editing till 3.30, and I made a little audio note, and I think just in my, just being tired, uh, I, I just misinterpreted what you meant. And so the next day, when I actually recorded my little outro... Uh, it was based on the audio note. So then when I was listening back to it, of course, I didn't have any time to uh, truly really listen to it because I just put it up on Friday and then listened to it when everyone else did. Right. And when I listened to it, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I immediately knew that what I said afterward was not going to make any sense. It's like, <laughs> okay. And then I saw your thing on – you had made a post about it on the thing. Right. On the message board. Um, so I felt bad, and I apologize. No problem, Jerry. And I <sighs> – Jeff, love you. Jeff, we'll always. Yes, Jer. So, anyway, picking up where you left off, um, I just thought maybe in um, celebration of Leslie Kane's (laughs) newfound mainstream fame, maybe we would um, tear apart some of the nuts and bolts aspects of ufology. Before, yeah, how about she, that? before she makes them really popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we could try that. Um, and actually, you are the final guest on 
the Black Fridays, which is www.theblackfridays.net with Wes Owsley and Stacy Lowry. Uh, Wes is leaving that show, and he'll explain why and where he's going all that uh, when that final episode comes out. But you were their guest, and I got to uh, have a little chat with Wes afterward, and they let me put it on uh, on this show. So hmm. it's basically... The deal is Wes is leaving the country, so he can't do his show anymore, and he's not going to get to essentially write the UFO magazine article he wanted to, which was going to be about alien implants and what he has found out about um, a possible reason for balls of iron that um, that don't seem to fit any category of known irons mm-hmm. uh, mysteriously appearing under the skin. So let's take a listen to that now, and then, Jeff, if you uh, have any comments, comment away. I've had a family member who's been ill since Christmas of last year, uh, severely ill. Um, uh, two points sent between Christmas and now has been on a ventilator on life support. And um, that's what I mean when I say I've sort of been hit in the face with, you know, I have to find out this information. I have to understand what's going on with this family member. And so uh, throughout that process and through what Stacy and I have not been doing professionally, we come into contact with a lot of doctors and a lot of healthcare providers. And I've been collecting information on the side and doing a little research and, and talking with people. So I've made sort of this little network of neurologists and neurosurgeons um, who have been sort of piping information to me or answering answering questions. Well, uh, what Jeremy's referring to is a few, uh, probably about two months ago now, um, I had a surgeon call me and tell me that uh, at University of Alabama, Birmingham uh, Medical Center, a gentleman had a patient had a lump of metal um, taken out of the back of his leg behind the knee. And there was no explanation as to how that metal got there. Um, but it was about the size of a nickel. And when they tested the uh, metal, it was, it was an iron, but it was not of a sort of known origin. And so the first thing that popped into my head and I sort of ran talking to Jeremy was, you know, alien implant. Um, But then, you know, I sort of got pulled back down to earth by the neurologist who said no. So uh, I guess I should explain that there is a condition in the human body called, uh, that that can happen in the human body, I should say. It's a genetic uh, condition called a channelopathy. Uh, when you consume, when human, human beings consume food or intake any type of, of nourishment, uh, certain channels in our body open up to process those, the different um, parts of what we eat. For example, if you drink milk, um, there is a calcium channel uh, in your system that opens to allow your body to process that calcium. Well, if you had a calcium channelopathy, 
um, what would happen is either that channel would not open or would only open partially. And therefore, your body would only be processing that calcium partially and it would build up. And over time, um, it would lead to major health issues because uh, the calcium doesn't go away. It just builds up the human body. Well, it turns out that there is a, um, there is a condition called an iron channelopathy. So um, this is what the neurologist told me, and, and I tried it, and it worked. So I'll tell you, it's a little sort of think of it as a junior high science experiment. Find a breakfast cereal that it advertises itself as high in iron. Um, put it in a, in a blender and sort of make it into a powder. Put it in a bowl and cover it. Just, just uh, put enough water in the bowl just to cover the cereal. And make yourself some sort of tripod that you can put over the bowl and suspend a magnet over the, the ground cereal and wait. And within 24 hours, worst case scenario, 48 hours, that magnet is going to be covered in, sha- in shavings of metal. Well, it turns out when, some, when they say a food is high in, high in iron, that is exactly what they mean. It's iron. It's metal. So a person that has an iron channelopathy, their body cannot process iron um, either at all or it can only process it partially. Now, different substances build up in different parts of the body. Calcium, for example, builds up in the back of the skull near the cerebral cortex. Um, and a, a normal amount of calcium built up in that area will lead to seizures. Um, well, it turns out that iron tends to build up in the human body in the extremities, in the in the wrist area, in the hands, in the lower in the lower legs, typically around the knee or below. And it also turns out that not all iron that is included in food is cre- is created equally. Some foodstuffs or food substances have one type of iron, and then some. Uh, others have a totally different type of iron, and then there's a third or fourth kind of iron. Well, throughout the day or throughout the throughout time as you consume food, you consume these different types of iron. They combine and they sort of build up in one area, and it's not unknown for them to settle themselves into one mask, so what you uh, one big mass. So what you have is you have a small mass of iron in your body built up of so many different types types of iron that if you do a simple test, uh, it's going to come back as this is an unknown type of metal because it's built up of of so many different types of metal. And that would typically be, you know, you the researchers would typically figure that out, but it requires, you know, a pretty expensive test and most people just aren't willing to, to do it. And so what I the sort of hypothesis that I've been working on is that, and of course I'm not going to say all, but I would suggest that a lot of these so-called alien implants are actually individuals that have this condition known as an iron channelopathy. Um, now, channelopathies are not something that you're going to get tested for. Um, you know, you're not going to go to a... Um, uh, a doctor and have a physical, and he's going to test you for channelopathies. It doesn't happen. 
essentially you have to be diagnosed with one in order to be tested for one. I know it doesn't make any sense, but that's what it is. Um, and so when my family member was diagnosed as having a calcium channelopathy, uh, it became a requirement of all the children in the family of his generation, so this includes my daughter, to be tested for calcium channelopathies. And thank goodness, you know, no one has uh, come back positive with the exception of this family member. And so um, that's how I got into this. But I think that uh, you could, one could make a case that iron channelopathies have a lot to do with this alien implant thing. And I would challenge, you know, and I've sort of written to Dr. Lear, and I haven't had a response, but I have contacted him, and I said, you know, have you ever thought about this? Um, And it's been an interesting thing because when you go to a GP or general practitioner, and, of course, Dr. Lear is a podiatrist, um, you say channelopathy, and you see sort of in the back of their mind they're going back to medical school, and, yeah, I sort of remember what this is, but this is not something that doctors see every day. This is actually fairly quite uncommon. In fact, um, my family member uh, is the only patient that we have found and that his physicians have found in the United States that have been diagnosed with having both a calcium channelopathy and Hashimoto's encephalopathy. Um, he's the only patient in the United States. So, these channelopathies can be quite rare, and um, but I found it interesting that the effects that these different channelopathies can have uh, include such things as you know um, seeing auras, um, alien abduction uh, experiences, seeing uh, you know shadows, feeling presences in rooms. These are all things that can happen uh, as a result of having one or more different types of channelopathies. So that's what I've been sort of working on behind the scenes for about six months now. Wow. Um, (laughs) Now, here's something just to add to that sort of. um, And I don't remember what the the name of it is, but Jeff uh, Ritzman on our little show, Paratopia, he had contacted a dermatologist who was unwilling to come on our show uh, because, well, <laughs> for obvious reasons, because uh, he liked his job. But he was, uh, Jeff had asked him about um, alien scoop marks that, that are reported on abductees. And he said um, that essentially you have pockets of fat that collapse and produce that exact shape. And it'll look like a perfectly round scoop mark, and that—that's all that is, in in his opinion. Um, and so it's just interesting because even recently, like as of a couple of weeks ago, I was on a message board and I saw somebody say, as proof that alien abductions are real, um, these scoop marks. I mean, how could you fake that? You would have to scoop out some skin and you know have it heal over and all that. But that's not what's going on there, or at least the potential for a mundane explanation is sort of right in front of our faces. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I wonder, do people not know about these things? How do they not know about them if they're studying them 
I mean, presumably someone like a Lear or even a Bud Hopkins would want to um, do away with any mundane arguments that a skeptic could make. Uh, so you would think that they would be studied up on these things, no? But I, I don't know. Well, you know, one of the things that I have found, Jeremy, is, is um, and, and I'm thinking specifically, uh, you know, I'm going to jump in here and, and sort of defend Dr. Lear, is, um, even though I've never even talked to the guy, um, is uh, I have found that most physicians... I think uh, Stacy will back me up when it comes to the sort of the dental maxillofacial surgeon world. Most physicians, uh, after a time, know their procedures and they know their ailments and they know how to prescribe antibiotics and they know how to give flu shots. And then all the other sort of medical school stuff just sort of goes out of out of the window. Um, you know, I have found. Um, I've actually found general practitioners who didn't even know what a channelopathy was. Um, so, and I think it's, it's, there's nothing sinister. It's just, they get into their routine just like everybody else that works does. And, you know, they just stop thinking outside of that box. You know, Christ, all you have to do is watch, you know, mystery diagnosis on discovery channel and to find out, you know, how many doctors people have to go to, to actually find one who knows what's wrong with them. Um, have you even run across a, um, an obstetrician who misdiagnosed a present pregnant lady as being barren? So, I mean, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, um, doctors do not, because someone is a doctor, that doesn't mean that they're all knowing. And so, you know, I, what I'm getting at is I don't fault Dr. Lear for not thinking of, you know, sort of a, a channelopathy because more than likely, you know, uh, he, it just, it either never crossed his mind and he might not even know what a channelopathy is. Right. Well, I, yeah, I, I just I think if I were basing my career on pulling things out of people that I would be as well studied on what those things could be as possible. Um, because, it, you know, it's such a tenuous career to have, you know, or name to, to make for yourself um, that why would you not be as well studied as possible? Yes, but, um, you know, I think I find it more interesting uh, and this is a conversation that Micah Hanks and I had. I find it more interesting that, you know, I've been interested in this stuff for a long time, but I've only really been involved in the podcasting world and sort of researching for around a year now. And, uh, you know, I've had the chance to talk to some of the top re quote-unquote researchers in the UFO world, and none of them have heard of this stuff. I find it more interesting that nobody in the ufology world or ufological world has sort of dug deeper into this. It seems to me that a lot of the stuff is just being taken at face value. And if you want to hear more of my conversation with Wes Owsley, that will be up, uh, I believe, Sunday. It's Wes's final show of the Black Fridays. Jeff Ritzman is their final guest, and they will be naming a new co-host, who I think you will find to be a surprising if 
odd choice. Um, in any event, that's at theblackfridays.net on Sunday. I do urge you all to tune in. Jeff, comment away. Oh. <laughs> Does that answer it? I mean, is it? Is this it? Is it just some sort of syndrome that some people have? And then, and then I was thinking, like, hey, remember, um, remember when it was the fad to have magnetic shoes for some reason? Magnetic foot therapy mm-hmm. is that why sometimes these balls of iron appear in the feet because magnets are attracting iron to clump up right beneath the skin. I mean, these might be some answers. I don't know. What say you? Well, I I certainly don't think that uh, that they explain them all. Mm-hmm. But let me preface all of this, what I'm going to say, before uh, getting into it, that I am not a subscriber to alien implants at, in, in any form. I've not seen anything. And then, yes, folks, that includes the work of one Dr. Roger Lear that convinces me that uh, – that people are being tagged like animals and and uh, and implanted all sorts of strange things. Most of what I have seen over the years uh, and been exposed to has been uh, foreign objects that have essentially uh, have migrated. So let's, I mean, let's start right there. I mean, Wes Owsley brings up a really great point about a certain type that's being extracted here and there from uh, experiencers. But there are many others that have shown up in different ways. Um, uh, and one of the things that you always hear associated with that is the fact that there is no scar where this rather large object is. Uh, and so what does that mean? Uh, when you've got a foreign body in, inside of you and there's no scar that shows an entrance wound of any kind, a scar, anything like that. And I've talked to doctors about this. And what I most often get back is that uh, when something foreign enters the body, uh, two things can happen. It, it becomes assimilated and therefore migrates uh, to different areas. Uh, it can do this over the course of years. Uh, or you get an infection because the body's rejecting the foreign body and that's it. Uh, when I asked what would be the most common thing that people would not reject out of the body uh, – to, to, to the two doctors that I asked this to. I mean, by no means have I done like any kind of comprehensive study about this, but they said most often glass will be uh, assimilated, will move. And also many times we've heard, and I think, I think if I mention this, I think people will remember the case I'm talking about, that there was a gentleman many, many years ago who had uh, an object removed from him that was a very smooth uh, shard, I believe it's triangular, but a but a smooth triangular shape, almost looked like a uh, uh, I don't know, something you might find at the beach. It was like a, a shard of glass that was uh, rubbed smooth by the ocean and, and the sand, and that was removed from somewhere uh, on his leg or knee. And you look at it, and you go, "Well, that's glass." And then, of course, they put it underneath of a microscope, and they say, "This thing has." all sorts of fine inscribing on it and fine uh, – uh, not, not any kind of discernment, not like it was a CPU chip or something, but it had an interesting honeycombed quality to it. And so when I mentioned that to one particular doctor, he said, well, of course, if it was in his body since he was a child uh, and it migrated to a spot, uh, 
that nine times out of ten, the reason these things stop is because the body actually grabs hold and starts to assimilate them, and therefore capillaries will start to just like uh, the the comparison he gave me was just like uh, a weed growing through um, the pavement. Uh, capillaries will uh, attach to this; they will uh, start to even possibly try and grow through it. Uh, so that to me explained this this quote unquote tooling or honeycomb quality about that there's a lot of other things what Wes mentions is certainly it's a it's a damn well thought out plausible answer to that particular type does it explain them all no but i also don't believe that all of them are explained by alien implants i think there are plenty of there are bone fragments that migrate there are uh you know Simple, you know, body matter that 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 breaks off and migrates. There's DNA, you know, uh, masses that migrate, and uh, and they're all very strange. Sure, I, I think what it answers though is, um, you know, what he was basically talking about is the type of when people say it looks like meteor, you know, piece of meteorite right. or something. It's it's an iron content that's not of this earth or uncategorized. And it's like, well. Right. Your body does that. Right. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's just, it doesn't mean that that's what's going on, but it's certainly plausible. Now, I think of the antithesis moment being Whitley Strieber's ear, mm-hmm. where I'm pretty sure I've even seen his doctor on YouTube say the thing moved when they tried to take it out. Right. They got a little slice of it, and then the thing moved away from the scalpel, and mm-hmm. they couldn't take it out. Uh, so I don't know what to do with that. You know that. Well, I've I've actually seen that on television as well. When Lear was trying to remove something, I think it was on UFO Hunters actually. When they went to his offices and he did a, a removal there, that he was going into the skin and this thing seemed to be moving. But what I took away from seeing that was that he's actually pushing through fatty tissue, and so if you're pushing uh, forceps or some sort of implement in there to, to remove the implant, then you're actually moving. A, a, a fatty mass and therefore maybe pushing this thing deeper into the skin uh, or wherever it is in, into a fatty layer of tissue. The thing didn't move on its own. It moved when he put the forceps inside to try and grab it. It pushed forward. Well, of course it's going to push forward because he's pushing forward. So whether or not that's what Whitley's thing was, I don't know. Um, uh, and I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not that familiar with that to be able to, to say one way or the other. Yeah, I will say, I mean, just as far as, like, implants go, just aesthetically, it's more pleasing to say, it's in my ear, it's in my nasal cavity, it's somewhere mm. near my brain or uh, something that makes sense. But to say in a foot, in a leg, <laughs> you know, a place where, as a kid, you get into a lot of trouble, <laughs> yeah. um, I, just that never registered as true to me, you know? Yeah. Why yeah. would it be there? I, I don't know. But then that's my own prejudice based on where I think an implant should be in a body. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it stands to reason if you're a kid and you uh, are outside playing and you step on a pop top and, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get some kind of fragment in the skin that later on when you get older may migrate to a toe, you know, or migrate to the heel uh, or further. And, and, of course, by that time, it has very little resemblance to what entered your foot, uh, you know, three decades earlier. So, I mean, these are the same kind of things you have to think about. Foreign bodies and, like Wes mentions, natural um, – nat- and natural things that, wow, doctors 
really don't know that much about, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, and you, you mentioned, I, I heard in that talk that, uh, that I'd been to the dermatologist and, and asked him about the, the scoop marks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and that's like I said in the thing, I mean, that's something that I've seen on another message board where it was actually, yeah, it was the Paracast, the gold standard where, uh, this Archie Bedford character on there was saying, well, abductions have to be real because, you know, he was arguing from the point of view of these scoop marks that are impossible. I mean, how could you not know that a scoop was taken out of your arm and, right. you know, you, presumably there would be blood and healing involved and all of that. Um, but then you found out what exactly? Well, I found out two things actually. Uh, one was that uh, I actually went in because I had a I had a dot on my left foot on the top that has been there for a long time. And uh, this summer, when I went to the beach, I bought a pair of Vans and uh, and, and Jeremy knows I've got a closet full of Van tennis shoes. And I bought this set, and I really liked them because they're super comfortable. And and I've gone pretty much since. Uh, since age 11, I don't wear anything but boots. Uh, specifically, Jeremy will tell you, cowboy boots is all I wear. And so Vans were a nice... That's not true. <laughs> what else do I wear? There is one other footwear that you enjoy. What is that? That would be Iron Maiden sneakers. Well, those are the Vans, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Continue. That's, that's true. <laughs> it, it, you could not find a pair of Vans with Iron Maiden artwork on it that I don't own. Uh, these unfortunately were black, just black and red. And when I came from the home from the beach wearing these, this dot, uh, began to itch and burn. And so I went to him thinking likely knowing my mother's history with, uh, uh, precancerous, uh, skin aberrations from the sun. I figured that's what I might have. And, uh, and so I went and, uh, he looked at it and I'm thinking he's going to be able to tell me one way or the other what it is. And I said, uh, so doc, uh, he's like, well, it doesn't, um, it doesn't look cancerous. Uh, of course I can't be sure by looking at it, but it doesn't appear to be anything bad. I said, well, what, what is it? <laughs> and he says, well, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I thought, wow, really? Cause I'm thinking this guy's like one of the best dermatologists around. Uh, and, and in fact, he is very well regarded, very well thought of, and has been in this field a long time. And he made the statement to me. He's like, well, we're going to send it off for a biopsy uh, just to put your mind at ease. We're going to remove it. And he said, but, uh, you know, there are plenty of things that we send to the lab that we get back as completely inconclusive. That was kind of, I don't know, strange to me. I, I really thought that uh, – uh, I'd go there and he'd say, no, it's not this. It's a uh, – I mean he said it could have been anything from a reaction to a bug bite to an injury uh, to a mole to anything. He said, you just don't know. Uh, but he says, even if we send it to a lab, there's no guarantee that we'll we'll get a conclusive answer, which I thought was interesting. And so that led me into asking, uh, have you ever come across someone that, that has this uh, – like a thumb imprint uh, – circular, like a crater, uh, in, uh, the back of their leg or under the arm, uh, or wherever. And he said, yes, that he had that, um, uh, and, and what you mentioned was only kind of half the ex explanation that, that he had, which was yes, fatty tissue, uh, fatty cells can collapse, but 
there's also what they call, refer to as fatty tumors. And, uh, and these, these can either fill with uh, fatty tissues and just become a fatty tumor, or they can kind of manifest into uh, something of a, like a cyst nature, nature of a cyst where it, it fills with a fluid. And for no apparent reason, you don't have to hit it, injure it, or anything. At certain points in your life, uh, these things can collapse and or burst. And so when they burst, uh, what you get is a complete collapse of the tissue in that area, which then says, uh, I'm going down. <laughs> and it makes a crater. Uh, and he said they're often very circular. And some can be actually quite deep depending on the layer of fatty tissue that lays underneath the active layer of the skin. So I was like, wow, okay. But apparently fatty cells in and of themselves can also do this. There need not be a cystic uh, or, or a fatty tumor present. It can happen strictly with fatty tissue. Uh, so this is something I'm going to be looking more into and trying to get uh, a dermatologist to come on the show with us and just ever so briefly uh, explain more about that. I mean I, th- this was kind of like an impromptu visit and uh, – I would have liked to have gotten more into it and would have liked to have shown him pictures that people have associated with this in particular and gotten his uh, his reaction to that. Um, so that's that's what I found out in that direction. Um, so there you go. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we've just covered implants and scoop marks. I, I mean, it just again, and I I hate to just reiterate what I said with Wes, but. It strikes me as odd that people who are making claims for years, and I know that, you know, he, he gives Lear a pass for not knowing uh, everything, which I get. I get what he's saying there. Um, but it strikes me as odd that, I mean, it's not like he's new. Um, right. why, why wouldn't he have looked this up? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't anyone who's going to make giant claims uh, about alien implants or scoop marks or any of that sort of stuff be familiar with all of the material surrounding it. I mean, a simple conversation with a dermatologist, a simple conversation with a neurologist. I mean, why aren't people in this field having these simple conversations? Because if you explain it, there's no lecture. <laughs> Do I have to spell that out? No, like, I know, but I, I'm <laughs> trying. I'm, see, it's a weird thing because either that's too cynical or you're right. And if you're right, you're right, and it sucks. But if you're being too cynical, then that means that still something bad. It's like there's still like people just being really bad at research or really lazy, I should say. I mean, it's one of the two. It's either just complete profit motive or it's complete laziness. I don't even know if it's profit motive as much as it is, you know, I need to be involved in this field, and here's my in, and here's what I'm going to talk about, and here's what I'm going to present – I mean, I guess at some point it moves into the capital range, but, you know, I mean, it could be as simple as uh, a couple of one-off lectures or being the guy that uh, uh, that honestly believes that there are alien implants uh, going on. And maybe at some point if he jerks enough plastic, metal, and or glass out of everyone or, as Wes has mentioned, you know, uh, iron deposits, <laughs> that maybe he'll come across something uh, weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, who knows? Either way you cut it, if you explain it, uh, I mean, this is often the problem in in all the paranormal stuff is that uh, um, people don't go quite far enough in trying to discover what could be causing 
anomalous phenomena. And and again, people can say what they want to about ghost hunters, but at least these guys have enough brains to realize that uh, if they're in a, a basement surrounded by a conduit and they get high EMF readings, they're they've at least got enough uh, sense to realize, oh wow, okay, we're in a uh, we're in a seriously high EMF area, and we know what EMF uh, frequencies can do. They can cause rashes, hallucinations, feelings of uneasiness, dizziness, and they'll present that to a client and say. I think we know why you feel weird down there. Many people don't even go that far. Uh, on many occasions, I don't think they go far enough either. But uh, certainly in ufology, I don't think that people go far enough in uh, in trying to disprove what they're getting. If they if they find a thread, they pull on that, and they just keep going that direction. So with all of these new technologies, you know, it's all this wireless stuff. Mm. Is that having an effect on us? You think? I would uh, I would not be surprised. I don't know that there's been a big upsurge. I mean, again, you'd have to do comparisons to all sorts of different variables in conjunction with cellular technology and wireless devices. I don't know. I mean, there's there's no way for me to spout that off right right at this second. But it'd be an interesting thing to look at. <laughs> yeah, um, little Billy the Indigo kid isn't Indigo after all. He's just got an right. Xbox, an iPhone, an iPod, and. Right. Lives underneath a high powered wire. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just happens to live underneath some high tension wires. Um I mean, yeah, that's that's certainly a a possibility. I mean, I, I would assume that there are all sorts of things going on and it could be a conjunction of any number of, of factors that can that can have some sort of effect. I mean, who knows who knows what uh three AM in conjunction with a high EMF range and uh just enough pepperoni pizza can do. Uh, you know, too I many. We variables. all know the answer to that. Yeah, uh, too many variables there. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I think that's something that I think it's something that, by and large, this field doesn't do. And um, there was a there was a conversation a while back on a message board. It might have been UFO updates. I can't remember where one researcher said to another, "Hey, you know this case is bullshit. So why are you why are you continuing to promote it?" And they said, well, it's no good to promote a hoax. You have to promote something real. So, and so that's what we're doing. Or this is what he is alleged to have said in reply. Uh, I figure that that does get said more than enough in this field uh, because it's true. Uh-huh. You you can't promote uh, something as, wow, look at this hoax. I mean, how many people would be interested in that? They're not interested in that. They're interested in the real stuff. And unfortunately, that... I don't think gives us a great deal of data to to look at. <laughs> I think there's no shortage of the other. Right. Let me uh, throw something else at you that caught my attention. Now I was watching, been watching these classes, uh, Psych 101 Yale courses that I've got uh, on my Roku. Which, uh. yeah, which if you don't know what a Roku is, r o k u dot com. Feel free to look it up, but. One of the things that was mentioned is something, and I've told you about this, is called Capgrass Syndrome. And this is where you believe that your family has been replaced by aliens or robots. Right. Um, And the man was saying this usually happens after uh, a stroke. Usually it's a stroke victim that has something like this. Um, So I looked it up because immediately I thought of David Icke. (laughs) Uh, And of course, David Icke, as far as we know, hasn't had a stroke, but all of his routine is basically 
centered around an ayahuasca trip he took. Uh Um, So maybe it's just a simple matter of white man has ayahuasca trip, believes he now has knowledge of the universe syndrome, or maybe something like this. And so I started looking into Capgrass, and sure enough, here on the uh, psychnet-uk.com site um, under Capgrass syndrome, it says some researchers believe that Capgrass syndrome can be blamed on a relatively simple failure of normal recognition processes following brain damage from a stroke, drug overdose, or some other cause. Hmm. Drug overdose, you say? Right. <laughs> I mean, I just, I wonder if, is that it? Is, is, does that explain David Icke? I mean, I'm not saying it does, but I'm, it, it's pretty damn close, isn't it? It's like, you have a drug overdose... And then suddenly everyone around you is a shape-shifting reptile. And for the rest of your life, you're preaching about shape-shifting reptiles. I don't know. It just, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but I find it interesting what the brain can do, you know, how it can screw up, quote-unquote, and become this other, you know, thing. To, to think that your your family has been replaced, like something out of Body Snatchers? Yeah. I mean, what does that tell us about ourselves? And then there's another thing called Tarts Syndrome. And this is where you believe that you're dead. How do you believe that you're dead? But they do. People believe that they're dead. And then it usually is followed by violent outbursts. Um, so huh. I'm just throwing these out there as like, isn't this odd that, you know, we always say um, we're not crazy. <laughs> and yet uh, there, there are these things that are strikingly weird, like weirder than weird syndromes. Yeah. And then this brings me to uh, bicameralism. Have you heard of this? No, sorry. This is the bicameral mind uh, theory, which, let's see, I'm looking at Wikipedia. It says the term was coined by psychologist Julian Jaynes, um, presented in his book, The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. And basically what he's saying is that the ancient people, one half of their brain spoke to the other half of the brain and that's the thing that we have is an internal voice, you know, your internal voice telling you don't do that, go ahead and do that, was an external voice like schizophrenia, uh, like we would call them schizophrenics today. But for them, that was always there. That was one half of the brain talking to the other half. Okay. And somehow we evolved out of that. So our inside brain, our inside voice was outside, uh, giving us commands and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, now, this is just a theory or a hypothesis, but... But interesting, you know, it almost is like, well, hmm, (laughs) could something like that be, some connection like that still be in some of us, you know, maybe some of us are still slightly hooked up that way, and that might explain the what's inside is out thing, but yet we're not crazy, you know? I think, I mean, it's interesting, but again, I think more or less what we're doing is we're looking at all of these different aspects of the experiencer syndrome, let's call it that. And, and of course this doesn't apply to every single case. And it certainly doesn't apply when (laughs) there's more than one person that, that witnesses something weird uh, around you, me, or anybody listening to this program. We're not going to say, Oh, well, it's a, it's uh it, it's it's this syndrome coupled with uh mass hallucination coupled with uh EMF frequencies and too much pepperoni pizza. I, I think this explains a great deal of the of the people that came out of that period 
where the experiencer events were being so widely reported in conjunction with um, possibly in conjunction with uh, the, the regression hypnotherapy craze in that area. I think a lot of experiencers came out of that time. I mean, and I've met some of these people and, and it, to me, it's, it's almost, it's almost obvious and I'm not a psychologist, but it's almost obvious that you can tell by listening to what they claim has happened to them and, and also how the, their behavior, uh, I think in some ways it's it's easy to see the instability in some people. Other people, it's it's a lot more subdued. Um, and I don't I don't, I know we've talked about this before, but there is a certain faction of the population out there, and we know this to be true, uh, that in every other facet of their lives, they are completely one hundred percent productive, normal, and down to earth. However, when it comes to one particular subject. They are. Let's see. How do we put this? A uh, batshit, and uh, and that itself is another uh, form of a, a a mental aberration of some sort. I, I think we see quite a lot of that in this subject. Do these explain everything? No, they don't. But I think they're whittling down to what everybody in this field is referred to as the core of data or the core of. Uh, the information that's out there. And I think, again, we're, we, you can whittle down the core of the exopolitical claims. You can whittle down the, the core of experiencer claims. You can whittle down the core of the sightings and the visual data, which is getting thinner by the day. As we speak day by day, we're finding out now that the, uh, the, the Trindade uh, photographs, um, it, there is significant talk that they were, in fact, hoaxed. Uh, and so you're talking about whittling down a, a core amount of data, and I think that's, uh, I, I think that's really kind of the, the 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 core of the discussion here is that uh, there's a whole lot of things that could be going on, and how do or can we whittle down uh, something as subjective as the experiencer um, gig and put that down to a core amount of data that we can can kind of I don't know somewhat get a handle on. Were these photos uh, something that you thought were real? I thought they were real. Or I, I put a, a little bit of stock in them uh, for the simple sake that uh, uh, just the witness accounts involved with them. Uh, I think that the photographs themselves, for me, were a little too poor in quality, I guess, to really be able to tell anything from the photographs themselves. Um, they're incredibly grainy. I've I've seen high resolution scans up. It's not any better, but I think, you know, from how they were shot to uh, who shot them to, it was all about the notion of uh, the witnesses and the witnesses' remarks and uh, the different people who said to have seen it. I mean, Project Blue Book uh, concluded that they were hoaxed, but the the credibility of the man who shot them, that was questions as well. But but over the years, I mean, the more people that looked at them, the more they discovered about them, the more witnesses that were talked about, I was like, hmm, maybe there is something to this. And so I kind of put them towards the top. Yeah, I I, I put them towards the top of, uh, of, of the list of like, these are probably pretty good photographs. And uh, turns out they're not. Hmm. Um, I have something here that's... Uh... Good for comedy's sake, if you'd like. <laughs> Great. 
there's a man named Ross Hemsworth. He is the uh, presenter of the TV and radio show Now That's Weird. And he writes to the ExoPolitics Institute, Dear Michael, that'd be Michael Sala, Dear Michael and Co., this has been a very difficult decision for me to make, but I've decided to resign my position as UK media advisor to the Board of ExoPolitics, WIT, W-I-T, uh, immediate effect. Uh, there are a number of reasons why I have taken this decision. Uh, one, I have grown more and more aware of the splinter groups of ExoPolitics, many of whom seem to have different goals and ways to reach them from the initial objective as I saw it. Two, Recently, an exopolitical uh, an exopolitics conference took place in the UK, to which I was not invited, nor asked to help in my capacity as media advisor, and I felt a little hurt to be left out when being a board member of the organization. Three, I feel that my own beliefs on UFOs and surrounding theories have changed a little of late, and that I find myself disagreeing with a lot of group publicity for quote-unquote sightings that seem like obvious fakes or hoaxes which in turn could give exopolitics a bad reputation. I hope you all understand why I've taken this decision and wish you all well with your future endeavors with the exopolitical organizations, Ross. I find this interesting because number two, of course, is that he felt snubbed for not being invited to something. So really all you had to do was put that as the only reason he's leaving. But then number three, uh, basically saying you guys are promoting a bunch of crappy fake hoaxes which in turn could give exopolitics politics a bad reputation? Sir, <laughs> could? Well, <laughs> wonder why he wasn't invited. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's what's funny. Uh, so Michael Sala responds saying, Dear Ross, I'm here. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that you'll be leaving the Exopolitics Institute. Yeah, where would that be located, that institution? <laughs> um, it's an institute, all right. And then he, you know, he goes on to say some niceties about, you know, it sucks that you're leaving, basically. But then Alfred Weber, <laughs> and here's where it gets good, gives his response. Now, this is Alfred Weber's response to a man who's leaving the organization. Hi, all. I'm very grateful to Ross for bringing up the issues he did. And I hate to break the news to Ross, but the only way he can resign from exopolitics is to stop what he's doing, namely researching and commenting on relations among intelligent civilizations and the multiverse. So already, Ross ain't going anywhere. <laughs> My opinion about the current state of exopolitics can be summarized as follows. Because, you know, that's what people were asking for. <laughs> I mean, he immediately turns this into, you know, a way for him to get on a soapbox. But this is brilliant. Uh, so these are Alfred Weber's opinions on the current state of exopolitics. One, exopolitics is a nascent science that studies relation among intelligent civilizations in the multiverse. Jeff, do I need to go on? Please don't. It's painful enough. <laughs> Two, no single organization, interest group, individual, etc. owns exopolitics in the same way that no one owns anthropology. Therefore, it's not possible to resign from exopolitics, only to stop doing exopolitics oneself. <laughs> Three, exopolitics is now in its second decade, as I count my writing and publication of my book, Exopolitics, in 1999 and 2000, as the formal starting clock for the exopolitics first decade. Let me reread that one. I think I read that wrong. Exopolitics is now in its second decade, as I count my writing and publication of my book, Exopolitics, which is the name of his book, in 1999 and 2000, as the formal... So... The formal starting point of Exopolitics was when he released his book. 
four. Why is he writing these? This is what's like, like Alfred Weber is just crazy. Un- so hold on crazy. a second. Yeah. He said it's in its 20th year <laughs> and it started in 99. That's right. Math problem? <laughs> well, it is 2010 now. Let's see. 2010. Yep. Math problem. Thank you. Uh, four. Exo- exopolitics is in fact flourishing as a nascent science, which he said in number one, if you'll recall. Science? Yeah. Uh, many nations are practicing open exopolitics. The U.S. has been practicing covert exopolitics since at least the 1940s and now maintains an awesome secret colonization scheme of bases on many exoplanets and in many dimensions if independent whistleblower accounts are correct. <laughs> pretty big if the if don't get much bigger five uh even disciplines like abduction studies that maintain an openly suspicious stance toward the formal exopolitics community are practicing the science of exopolitics as they are describing relations among intelligent civilizations in the multiverse six universities like the university of binghamton new york uh, which wrote me today, now are conducting annual debates on exopolitics as part of their formal debate and rhetoric programs. Yes, I'm sure those debate programs are going exactly the way Alfred Weber wants them to go. Heavy on the rhetoric. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, seven, the exopolitics paradigm that the multiverse is populated with intelligent, evolving civilizations organized under forms of universal law with governance systems mediated by politics is one 21st century paradigm toward which humanity is now transitioning. How is that? What? So, the multiverse, okay, that's first of all, is, uh, second of all, is populated with intelligent involving uh, civilizations a lot like ours, and this is something that we're now transitioning into. These are his thoughts on how this is all going. We're getting, we're getting some insight into the mind of Alfred Weber. Eight... I have always thought it unfortunate the tendency within the Exopolitics Institute to ascribe to itself some sort of regulatory or normative function within exopolitics to be misplaced and the source of great and unnecessary misunderstanding in the public at large. You tell me what that sentence means. I have no idea. Exopolitics is a science, once again, that belongs to the multiverse, not to any singular group on one planet. And don't worry, there are only two more. Ten. Splinter groups, I'm not certain what Ross is referring to when he refers to splinter groups. That might be the first sane thing he's said all post. Uh, And then he goes on to say, I believe one could reframe perceiving splinter groups alternatively as the rapid growth of exopolitics as a discipline. One only has to see these multiple initiatives uh, in a variety of fields as part of the growth phenomenon of a single exopolitical paradigm. What, What does that mean? Exopolitics is probably the fastest growing science. Stop in- saying that word. <laughs> I wish I could. In terms of rate of acceleration on this planet at this moment. Number 11. And this is the last one. Thank God. Uh, tolerance and personal paradigms. My uh, dash. My own plea within the exopolitics and UFO communities has always been for more tolerance of the multiple avenues of research that we all have going on and for stretching our own personal paradigms beyond the comfort zone. After all, that is what we are asking the leaders of the world and the people of the world to do, to go beyond their comfort zone. Comments welcome! Exclamation mark. Alfred. I have a comment, Alfred. 
You want to talk about going beyond a comfort zone? Uh, all 11 of those points are a comfort zone you created in your own head. And a quick timeout here to point out that um, there weren't 11 points that he created in his head. There were 10. I don't know if you caught it or not. I, I didn't when I was talking with Jeff last night. There was no number 9. He goes from number 8 to number 10 to number 11. He skipped number 9. Anyway, these are the leaders, folks. These are the leaders. Time back in. That's, that's, it's just phenomenal. It's phenomenal that for as much as we uh, complain and whine um, about exopolitics and say it's very cult-like and it's very silly and uh, immature and non-intellectual, all that sort of stuff, it boggles the mind that there are still people who can read something like that from the uh, self-styled origin point of exopolitics and argue with us. Argue? Yeah. How do you argue? How do you argue for anything he just wrote? How do you argue for any of that? Jeff, go ahead. Argue for it. Science? <laughs> I mean, how do you say that with a straight face? That's what I want to know. How do you say this is a science? Steve Bassett pounding his fist saying it's confirmed it's 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 confirmed extraterrestrial and Jeremy I'll debate you any time on that. That's science? Yep. Uh, Hansel? <laughs> I mean, no. I It's batshit is what it is. It's fucking batshit that this is happening and and people wonder why this this mass exodus of anybody who was worth a damn in this field has left. <laughs> you know, I mean, this kind of shit is what is what is being publicly pushed. So there you are. I mean, that's all you read it. There's there's no comment that I could say that would add anything to how stupid it is. Yeah. Again, this gets into one of the original things I said that pissed off certain people in this field many, many years ago, which is certain things should be self-evident. And if they're not self-evident, then you lack uh, common sense and should not be here, <laughs> I guess. You know, it's like, but and then you say that and people are like, well, who's common sense? It's like, no, just common sense. There are just certain common sense things that don't need explanation. They don't need over-examination. And I think you said this on your last episode about something or other. I can't remember what exactly, but it's true. There are certain things that don't need over-evaluation. Right. Uh, and exopolitics is one of them. And yet thousands of people subscribe to this garbage and argue it. And then thousands more who may or may not will argue that, that it's okay that it exists because all of this needs to exist. You know, it's like, can't we all just get along and see everything that you just said didn't have to be said. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, you know, what you say about self the answer of self-evidence here is it's bullshit. And so that should be enough to be said. Right. But it's not. <laughs> but it's not. And that's the problem. But let's let's be real. I mean, this this gentleman who is resigning from exopolitics, this is not uh, uh, unique to exopolitical 
uh, venues. That's uh, his notion of dissent and then being disinvited is not uh, exclusive to exit politics. That is – that's how ufology works. And I talked on the Black Fridays about uh, that very notion of this good old boys club of ufology. And that can be split into any kind of splinter that you want, whether it be – Excuse me. What Rich Reynolds referred to as the old geezers club, to even all the way forward to the supposed new guard of ufology. I mean, that goes across all of those, uh, and to dissent uh, with any number of those uh, factions or groups is to be summarily dismissed from uh, participation or input or or consideration of any kind. Uh, that's just the way it works. And uh, uh, and so I for, for that uh, I mean uh, I can't sympathize with anybody who would get involved with exit politics to such a degree that they feel they have to resign, <laughs> but uh, that's not anything that we haven't heard, seen, and experienced before. That's all par for the course. So uh, I don't know. I mean, exit politics is there. There's no explanation needed. You read the letter. That should be enough. Yeah, I just like how there's no there's no definition of exopolitics except everything's exopolitics, so you can't quit. There's nothing to quit. Well, right. I don't know. He had a title, right? Media representative for whatever, whatever. Right. Um, and you do refer to this as the Exopolitics Institute, so presumably that's what he's quitting. Right. <laughs> it's like, Man, you can't even hear that a guy is sick of the shit, you know? Right. Oh, it's just, right. it, uh, I don't know. It's disheartening. Well, again, the only thing that, that you really can do with that whole crowd, in my opinion, is just to ignore it as if it doesn't exist at all. That's that's all you can do. Uh, because to pay any mind to it at all is just to simply aggravate. It's, a, it's an effort in uh, self-aggravation. Mm-hmm. There's no point to paying attention to that. I mean, I'll tell you the really sad part about it is, is that they get people to participate who, whether it be writing a review on a book or uh, anything like unfortunately, you're seeing this spillover of researchers who I think are decent people who want answers. And, of course, when you get invited to speak at any number of these exopolitical get-togethers, they take them rather than say, I'm sorry, I'm declining your invitation. <laughs> uh, you know, because let's be honest, I mean, something like the ex-conference seems to be fairly well-backed uh, as far as, uh, you know, ticket price and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, there's the ability to go give a lecture and get paid or sell your book or whatever, and those people are going to take advantage of that because there's a large contingency there to buy the book or buy the DVD or pay for the lecture. I, it's a no-win situation for me. I mean, I've turned down half a dozen podcasts and radio shows because I just don't feel that they're worth a damn to go on. But I guess and I'm, I'm definitely – I can't imagine that I'm the only one to have done that, but – what do you do? I mean, it's it's like a it's like a cancer that just spreads through all of it. So there's nothing you can really do about it except just ignore it. And I don't I don't necessarily think that berating those speakers that go there who are worth their salt 
I don't I don't know that you can blame them. I mean, they need an audience to speak to. I I'm what's the answer to that? I don't know. Yeah, it's either crap conference or no conference. Right. So what do you want? I mean, do you want to talk or don't you? Would you go to a uh, conference that was sponsored by, say, the Meyer people? <laughs> ask you to speak. Oh, sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> well, what about Bassett? What if Bassett is like, I want you to be on an extra conference thing for contactees next year? No. What about... Oh, okay. So how do you square that with feeling like we're being blacklisted? We don't get asked to any of them. <laughs> I know, but but we don't get asked to any of them. But not only do we only tear down this field, right. uh, you just said you wouldn't go to like conferences that are sponsored by half the people who sponsor conferences. Well, I wouldn't say it's half the people. <laughs> I mean, I mean, certainly like like uh, I mean, we both we both sp- spoke at uh, Pat Marcatillo's uh, UFO Congress. Is that what it is? Yeah. So we went to that, which was great. Uh, really, I mean, I think the problem with us is that we don't play the game. I think that's uh, I think that's the reason. I don't I don't think that it's that uh, we haven't done good shows or brought things to the field or anything like that. I no, don't, I think I, it's that we have. Exactly, <laughs> that's the problem. Exactly, uh, I I think that it's that we don't play ball. And, and it's really uh, funny that we started off being sort of in a jokey way this anti new age. Utopia, and by the end of it, we're actually anti. Well, in some sense, nuts and bolts, but anti all of it. I mean, I've really come to see, just even in the past maybe couple of months, that all of it is rigged. I mean, all of it is. If you don't play by the narrative, Mm -hmm. it is like you said. It's an all you know. It's it's the old boys club. If you don't, if you don't like it, get out. Right. Um, so, I don't even I don't even know if it's that black and white. Uh, I mean, you have to look at uh I mean, I just I just think it's funny that that this is a field that promotes itself as being, you know, the the, the people searching for truth and the people uh asking for the government to to tell what it knows, to stop covering up, to stop lying to us, right? This is what ufology is. Well, that and the, you know, the the free thought of what could it be? Let's pontificate. Yeah, on. but nobody wants to know that. That's what I'm saying. Like, we want to know that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what I'm saying is, really, the thing that's appealing to most people is the anger issue of, I want I want to know. I want the government to tell me, you know, what they know. and The distrust of the government, right. Yeah, I know they're lying and all that sort of stuff. And um, But the thing is, and so everybody sells you an answer, but nobody really knows what the hell's going on. I mean, it, just that whole rigmarole of not... Of taking away the word unidentified and unidentif- unidentified flying object and replacing it with spaceship <laughs> it like <sighs> it is problematic and now of course there are there's room on the outskirts for people like you and me to be able to talk about other things, but essentially we're not welcome right and again so it's a lie, so the whole field is a lie and and the wanting truth and all of that is a lie because if you don't play ball you you get blacklisted or you get ignored. Uh, so, you know, to rail against some secret government guard or secret society that controls everything or wh- any new number of conspiracy theories that go along those lines, um, it seems that ufology plays by the same set of unwritten rules. You know, not that there's right. a bunch of old guys sitting in a room <laughs> no, no. saying, how do we keep this all together? It's just an unwritten agreement that everybody has. Right. Uh, and then when you call people on their bullshit, you know, it seems that the unwritten agreement is to say, well, we're all in this together. 
which is the biggest lie of them all. We're all in this together, so why are you picking on me? Right. Um, well, and, I think and, it's a... and truly, they are all in this together. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah. I mean, there's certain. I, I mean, there are certain people at conferences that don't associate, don't like each other, all of that. But in the end, they're all kind of playing that uh, uh, that same larger game of everybody's got to kind of you know, play by the rule or the unspoken law. And so let's use us as uh, again as a, as an example point. You know, we have pretty much, I think, dismantled the notion of regression hypnotherapy being valid and all of that. So we went that route. Now, set aside uh, Hopkins, Jacobs, Barbara Lamb, all these people. Set all those aside for a second. Now, if you extracted them from the UFO field and all of their data, it's almost uh, multi-tentacled in that it has gotten its hooks into other cases pervade by other people who really don't have any solid connection to regression hypnotherapy, but did base legitimacy of cases in part on that theorem. And so now let's take all of those people and push those out. And so who's left? Not many. So it's like this trickle down. If you, if you lay into one aspect of this sooner or later, you realize that it's, there's, there's all sorts of capillary actions going on in there that, are working their way into other people's cases, which then negates their work, and it becomes like a domino effect. So you've systematically pissed off everybody uh, in one fell swoop. So there's nothing that can be done about that. And and certainly I, I, I'm consistently amazed of who's speaking where, you know? I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, who is speaking where? Like, somebody that we have the utmost respect for is speaking at some place that we're like, what what would you do that for? But again, as you say, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to talk? I don't know. I mean, it's it, there's no way out of it. I mean, it, it's just it's this endless cycle of you're in or you're out. Either you play nice with everybody and you you play a, a non-committed game, or you know you lay your cards on the table and 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 be uh, exiled, uh, effectively exiled, um, or called a, a government agent or a debunker or whatever, like we've been called. <laughs> so what do you do? There's nothing you can do. What can you do? You can kind of start your own little faction, I suppose, is what you do. And uh, I have this vision of like Johnny Depp in the Headless Horseman movie. You know, it's like, I'm off to hunt a murderous ghost. Who's with me? <laughs> Nobody replies. So... I don't even know that going your own way and having people follow that is even the right thing to do. Nobody should follow be following anyone. It should be – I don't know if there should be this big collective even. You know, uh, It's too much like – it all develops into hero worship and all of that. All right, Jeff. So that's some of the stuff that's been on my mind at least. Uh, what have you got? To go in continuance with the thematic tonight of – Play ball or go home <laughs> or be beaten to death. What what was it, Monday, that we got a letter, uh, an email? We were on an email, uh, mass email, uh, four days ago uh, from Emma. This, from, would be, this would be Emma Woods. Emma Woods, yes. Uh, everybody, I think, 
is somewhat familiar with UFO updates. It's a rather archaic-looking message board of sorts that has been going for years, run by uh, Errol Bruce Knapp. Is that his name? Uh, yes. And um, apparently, Emma uh, wanted to subscribe to UFO updates. You can't apparently get on there unless you're approved. Correct, Jeremy? Am I right in all this? Yes. And uh, Emma basically had sent in uh, some information regarding her problems with uh, the the abduction research community. And uh, he refused her post. And he has not uh, made any effort to contact her or to let her in to lay out her case for the people in us. Now, to be completely honest, this UFO updates list reads pretty much like an all-star cast of ufology. I mean, we're talking everybody from, uh, well, uh, Bill Burns is on there, right? And Jerome Clark and uh, got a whole bunch of people. I mean, Stanton Friedman. And I mean, it's like this is the roll call for ufology. And so she writes this letter saying, you know, I, I'm not sure why I haven't been allowed to uh, go onto your very important forum. You know, you have the ability to allow uh, the facts of what occurred uh, to be examined openly as they should be. Uh, and it's, that she sincerely hopes that uh, he'll accept uh, her subscription to the forum and accept her post. And I wrote Emma, I think it was yesterday or day before, and I said, have you heard anything about this or any movement at all? No. I said, would you let me know if you do hear anything? And she said, sure. I still haven't heard anything. And it's now, uh, well, very early now, Friday morning at 12 or 4 a.m. Uh, as we record this. And um and so I wrote a message immediately, and Jeremy kind of like stopped me from sending it and saying, maybe Errol just hasn't gotten around to approving her message. Now, I hope that's the case. But this is part and parcel, is it not, Jeremy, to what we've been talking about? Yeah. She's got a, she's got a very controversial thing to talk about, and she wants to, to talk about it, to, to hear what is you know, going to be said or what their, the advice would be. And, of course, that's not happening. She's not playing ball the right way, so she's not going to be allowed to play at all. And so I wrote, uh, upon seeing your message this morning, Emma, I have to say I'm not surprised by what you're facing right now in this particular instance. While there are many people on the UFO updates list that I have great respect for, Jerry Clark, Maccabee, and many others, you do have to realize you're trying to voice your case in part to the cabal that's largely unchallenged the use of hypnotic regression to study the experience or phenomena. Few have spoken out against the procedure in the many years of its practice and widespread infection of this subject. The ones who have spoken out have been a minority. And my own view is that many of the members are among the good old boys clubs or cliques of ufology that have constructed theorems and publicized cases in part built upon a highly suspect at best practice. And as we know, many of these people are, shall we say, extremely reticent to retract foundation stones from their ivor towers of popularity and long-held theories that have been broadcasted, lectured about, uh, published for years. In short, they're incarcerated without the possibility of parole from their own publicly stated and aggressively defended conclusions. So I think you're apt to have issues presenting anything there that will rock the boat of ufology's assumed cognoscenti. The science so often mentioned as being applied in this field is not science in any form, which is why when you were talking about Alfred's science, I was like, wow. Uh, Science admits its mistakes, recants, and revises its errors and explores other avenues. They get points for being wrong. Ufologists, 
get disowned and marginalized because they are separated into the aforementioned cliques. So to, against, to go against the unspoken grain is to negate someone's work, which may or may not tie into their own. So guess what that ultimately means? If you do this as a ufologist, you won't get invited to speak and sell your book at the next mass convention or expo. And likely, you're going to lose friends fast. You'll subsequently you'll, you'll become a heretic to even the stagnated mess that's the UFO field. So they're going to let you into their midst to dissent against the one of their own? And their own inaction? Fat chance. You expose precisely one of the biggest skeletons in the closet of the subject, and I wouldn't expect any help from those who allowed it to proliferate in the first place. And again, let me point out, this is not everyone on that list by any stretch. Um, but there's plenty on there that, uh, you know, that fall into that good old boys club. I certainly don't think Bruce McAbee or Jerry Clark or people like that fall into that. But there's plenty of others that do. And so that is the reason that she's not, for me, in my opinion, looking at what I've seen here and the time that's gone by, what other explanation could there be? That he just hasn't read his email? <laughs> yeah. No, that, yeah, that that's the only fly. other answer. Right. But it, does, it doesn't fly at this point. I mean, she'd said it was several days prior to that, and I didn't realize there was even more uh, backstory between her and, and this guy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, odds are... It's just what you said. <laughs> evidence of it. I mean, there it is again. You know, there's no fighting this. So the answer is put your head down, do the work, move on. And so I think that uh, what the past two episodes of Bitch Fest are pretty much going behind us now. And <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm hoping to get, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, get a guest. I, I've told you about this. I'm not spoiling it for you, but there there is a guest who has something to say against one of the luminaries in the field who I think has pretty much been uh, debunked to my satisfaction, and yet he still keeps rearing his head, and so some people still love him, and I'll just not say any more about that uh, until the show happens. And if it does, if it does happen, and I think once again you're going to see a situation of the boys club and being blacklisted for, well, in this case for, for generosity. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're, it's, again, it's a woman being completely taken advantage of and then screwed over and then blacklisted. You know? right. I, I mean, it, it's just, it's incredible. Um, and I, I sincerely hope now this, this woman is, um, Struggling with whether or not, I mean, she does want some sort of justice and does want to tell her story and warn people about this person. But on the other hand, she doesn't want any more harm to come to her while she's working on the projects that she is working on. Because just at the forefront of her mind, I guess, is like, this guy still has some power in this field. Um, well, hopefully not by the time we get done with him. So, Well, <laughs> well I mean... There's another uh, thing that we haven't even brought up on the show that uh, that speaks to this same sort of blacklisting, and that is our dear friend Colin Andrews. Did we ever mention that he was supposed to appear at a conference, and because he was coming, uh, two other speakers said, we're not coming if he shows up? Yeah. And so they canceled the conference. What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Really? I mean, if it can happen to Colin, there's no one who's exempt. The evidence of this sort of behavior is all through this. And I got news for you. This is part and parcel to the 
the, the more fringy elements of this whole subject are in the driver's seat, just like I said. They are driving the bus. And if you're willing to get on the bus and look over and see the retard at the wheel and still get on the bus, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Retard versus crazy on the next sci-fi original. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it is. I mean, this is what happens when that kind of thing boils over. Uh, everybody else gets shut out because they disagree. If you dissent, you're done. And if it can happen to someone like Colin, then who is exempt at that point? No one is exempt at that point. Uh, so there you are. There, That's it. Uh, this is Colin Andrews, and you're listening to Paratopia. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it. We take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Hey, this is Stacy. This is Wes. Be sure to check us out on the Black Fridays podcast. Where we explore the esoteric one conversation at a time. You can check us out at www.theblackfridays.net. It's a little bit freaky. And we will see you there. So anyway, off to uh, another weirdo topic. You called me this week and you asked me how I felt. And I said... Uh, you asked me if I'd been off lately, and I said, yeah, I have been. Um, everything from um, extreme dryness in the face, namely sinuses, mouth, that sort of thing. Had a really weird uh, dizzy spell at work, and you said that you had been uh, experiencing some cor- some kind of back pain, correct? Yeah, I've been experiencing a couple of different things. One of them is not my normal sciatica back pain, but a very specific center of the back, not shooting down my leg, pain. Um, yes. And these seem to more or less coincide with some sort of, uh, well, you brought up the notion of it uh, kind of coinciding with the uh, sun flare. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a sort of, well, a timing thing, but also an intuitive thing. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's interesting when... Um, the tsunami hit, was it Indonesia? Is that where the tsunami hit? Yeah. You know, back in, I'm going to say 2002, 2003, right? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. It was a while ago, but it was, it was Christmas and, um, pretty much, well, that night I developed a huge pain in my neck. Uh, I don't know if there's a pun there, but it's not intended. Um, that didn't go away for a year until I finally went and got acupuncture the first time. 
in my life, and then it immediately went away. But I waited a year because I just figured this is something that'll work itself out, right? And then laziness sets in, and then lack of insurance and, and all that. But I finally got fed up and got rid of it. And somewhere in that year, I had read uh, on the internet that, that people had neck and back problems uh, that night, the night of that tsunami, and that mm. people who are in tune with the earth, whatever that means, um, get these during giant events like that. Now, I have this huge back problem around the time, if not the exact time, of um, the uh, the sun flares, August, uh, I guess it was 3rd into the 4th. And as we were just looking this up, funny enough, uh, to, to figure out what the dates were, um, NASA was calling it a solar tsunami. So I just find that terminology kind of wink nudge in a way. Um, but I mean, is it related? I don't know. The, the other thing that was really weird with me, um, and it's gone now is I felt for weeks. I mean, from that time up until I called you, like I was heavier in a way, like I had more mass or something, not like I weigh more or like I'm depressed, but just like, like, I have more mass. Like, like, I don't know, gravity is affecting me differently or something. There was something weighing me down right. to where I thought I would just disappear. I mean, I really thought that if I just sat still for a period of time, I might just <laughs> fade. You know, it was just, it was a weird feeling to just have that feeling for weeks. Um, and I don't know that it's related, but it, it was just something where I felt like I had to call you and ask if you had felt anything. Yeah, I hadn't any of that stuff. I mean... I think that was where I told you if you did disappear to make sure you made the sound like when Gazoo shows up. Like, <laughs> that's right. Um, but now, I mean, the only thing I'd had was really bad sinus. I mean, worse that I cannot remember uh, having it worse than that. Uh, extraordinarily painful. And, um, and just a, a, a dryness that was, that was so bad I literally had to stop at the drugstore. And get saline before I went to work. Uh, it was that bad, and um, and I've not really had that very much. I drink a lot of water, um, but I, you know, I don't know that I can put that to anything. But I did have an instant at work when I was sitting at my desk, um, where visually and uh, um, I don't know equilibrium wise, I the room literally went vertical and uh for like a split second i mean it was that kind of dizzy spell it was like instantaneous and it really freaked me out and i have I, I mean i have no good you know explanation for that other than if my sinuses uh if i had a sinus infection of some sort that maybe it it had um disturbed the inner ear and that could have been it i suppose but uh weird that you should call me because i was not i did not feel right that whole week it was always like something was cropping up that was uh uh, a pretty lethargic feeling as well. So oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, connection, I don't know. I, I really, to tell you the truth, I wasn't paying that much attention to when that all started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only knew when it started because it was right before my mom came into town ah. uh, to see my sister's opera. And it was, so it was, you know, pretty easy to place. So then I went, oh, wait a minute. Right. You know what else is going on? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Just like our uh, bringing this full circle in a weird way, just like just like the beginning of the show where we have sort of these tenuous connections with implants and scoop marks. We have tenuous connections between natural earth actions and 
our own bodies, the earth body and our bodies. Um, but the other thing that I was just reading online in connection with this so-called solar tsunami was that um, it was connected to a bunch of earthquakes that happen around the world. Um, mm-hmm. If that's true, and I only read one article, so I, I guess I would have to read more to know. But if that's true, that to me is really interesting because the way, uh, again, you know, this is all just a s- silly intuition thing, but the way I've been thinking about these solar flares is that it's the sun talking to the earth. It's like giving instruction to the earth. Mm. Um, and the instruction is about reformation and, you know, mutation. And um, so wouldn't that be interesting if there were a scientific connection between earthquake clusters and solar flare eruption? I don't know. It's all I know. I know what to think about. You know, I, I know what someone would say on the message board. Well, you know, of course, this happens because when we have a full moon, you know, the arrest rate, the arrest uh, statistics go up, the hospital, um, you know, emergency room visits go up. Um, that's been a long-standing thing that everybody talks about when it comes to the full moon, and we know what effect the moon has on the Earth. So, is it such a stretch to think that uh, that the sun would have exactly the same, that same, or or even worse? <laughs> well, I mean, effects. let's think about this. The sun basically bakes you in your mom's stomach, right? <laughs> and wherever you are on the planet, that has probably the largest effect of how you come out physically. And if uh, if anyone believes in astrology, then perhaps uh, mentally as well. I don't know. Maybe it has some sort of effect there. I don't know. But it definitely bakes you and <laughs> makes mm-hmm. you come out a certain way. And we're talking about, I mean, what is it that's being, it, it's what, electromagnetic radiation of some sort that's being pelted at us? So, I mean, of course this is going to affect us. I mean, if you're going to say that, like, wireless things and uh, you know high voltage wires affect people well right yeah it's <laughs> more effective than the sun right <laughs> yeah i mean certainly it's going to have some kind of effect and look how you feel if you're cooped up in the house or you don't even have to be cooped up in the house look what happens when it rains for 4 days straight and there's you don't get any look how you feel <laughs> i mean that right there should tell you something uh, well, yeah, and actually, without any sunlight beating on your skin, you feel, you know, an ick factor after you know two a couple of days of that. Yeah, and the sun um, actually makes you less tired. It produces I can't remember what like it 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 somehow regulates the melatonin in you. It it okay. does away with it or whatever it does, uh, but it makes you less tired to be in the sun. Yeah, I can believe that. Um, and you know, Jeremy, all of the celestial talk. Uh-huh. has brought me to my final point for tonight. Go ahead. Which is just kind of a nya 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 to certain people. Hopefully In the me. music business. Oh. As we speak, Friday, 12.29 a.m. What's the date today? 12.22 by my clock. 12, well, okay. Maybe Make I'm wish. late then. But <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, Friday, the 27th of August, 2010, Iron Maiden's new album, The Final Frontier, debuts at number four on the Billboard U.S. album charts. Wow. That's huge. I wonder if Michael yeah, Jackson ever debuted at number four. If you, oh, Penis. <laughs> anyway. 
No, that is that is huge because the Final Frontier, Iron Maiden's new album, available everywhere. Well, they don't ever really debut at number four. I mean, it's. I was actually going to mention that to you. I had seen an ad for their album, um, which was probably a piece of their music video, but it was a TV ad for their album. I've never seen a TV ad for an Iron Maiden album, or if I did, it was like you know the '80s when I was a kid. Um, Yeah. yeah, What's going on? Why are they giving such a, a huge push with this album? Do you know? Uh, because it's a fucking awesome album. <laughs> but don't you think that about all Iron Maiden albums? I, I don't think the last one was uh, was it was it was a great album to me because I'm a huge fan. But I think in the in the grand scheme of things, I think this is one of the best that they've done since uh, Good Lord Seven Sun, which is a long time ago. Hmm. Um, but their last album debuted at number seven. Uh, on on the U.S. album charts. Now in the U.K., the Final Frontier has debuted at number one. Wow. Uh, so, and I, I might also uh, I, I might I might also mention this if I can find it. I'll have to restart. Uh, None of this is going into the show. Wait a minute. Wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. Waiting. Wait for it. Waiting. Wait. Wait for it. Ting. Wait for it. Shh. Wait for it. Here we are. Debuted in Australia, number two. Finland, number one. UK, number one. Sweden, number one. Ireland, number three. Germany, number one. Netherlands, number two. New Zealand, number one. Norway, number one. Austria, number one. Denmark, number one. France, Switzerland, number one. US, number four, of course. Czech Republic, Croatia, Spain, number one. Go back. Belgium, Croatia? Correct. <laughs> Belgium, Canada, Hungary, number six, number one, and number one, respectively. Portugal, Arabia, Bulgaria, Chile, Mexico, number one. Poland, Turkey, number two. Japan, number one. And Singapore, number five. Come on, Singapore. Get with it. Wow. Who knew? Who knew that they were so popular? Uh, me. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So if you haven't picked it up. And apparently you have. Right. Go get it. (laughs) Going by the stats. Put this mother at number one. (laughs) Anyway, that was my little uh, deviation from the show. It's always good to go out on a happy note. And if Mm. you're happy, I'm happy. So there you go. So cheers to Iron Maiden for number four debut in the U.S. Anyway. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, don't stop rushing me. Well, Peritopia, that brings us to the end of another exciting episode of, well, Peritopia, which you probably already knew since you're, you're Peritopia. Anyway, my special guest, Jeff Ritt. Oh, wait, you're the co-host. Right? right. You're the co-host of this thing. I think so. Okay. Uh, Jeff, it's been lovely as always. Yeah, same to you. And I guess we'll, we'll have a, a big announcement about... This show, uh, next week? That's correct. We will be uh, unveiling something very, very exciting. For us. (laughs) For you guys, it's going to suck. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Uh, I would say not really. Very good. Very, very good. All right. That's next week. Jeff Ritzman. Jeremy Vaney. We are signing off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.